either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, we don't have quantity this week, but we've got some quality. We're going to dig in. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com, and we're going to start off big, very big, as post-war Japan is at its lowest point when a new crisis emerges in the form of a giant monster baptized in the horrific power of the atomic bomb. It's Godzilla minus one. Godzilla. <laughs> All right, for this one, we're going to bring uh, the Schlocketeer, Daniel Baldwin, in early to talk about this because you are much more of a, a longtime Godzilla fan and historian than we are. I had to look it up. This morning, I think, has there been 30, 37 so far Godzilla movies? Is that right? Yes, uh, 37 uh, feature-length films with Godzilla in them, although if you count uh, some of the spinoffs from where they had their cinematic universe back in the day, um, the number would be closer to 50. Okay, well, and then we're coming up on next year, well, in about a month, it'll yeah. be the 70th anniversary of the original of the original yeah. in 1954 amazing so i haven't we haven't seen nearly as many as you have but right away i think this one godzilla minus one comes out as the best in many many years this was just an all-around crowd crowd-pleasing win yeah uh i i uh, you know I, I expected it to be at least pretty good because um you know they're, they're, they did a couple of anime um feature-length films on Netflix a few years ago that weren't all that great. But as far as, you know, live-action Godzilla goes, even just setting aside the legendary movies, the last few movies from Toho in Japan have been really good. Um, Final Wars back in 2004 was a lot of fun. And then, of course, Shin Godzilla was excellent. So the the bar was set pretty high, and they just leapt right over it like an Olympic racer. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it's amazing. It's it's writer and director and v, uh, visual effects supervisor. I, I was amazed that he gets the credit for that as well. I mean, Takashi Yamazaki all over this, and it's it's so great. First of all, it goes back to the roots, so to mm-hmm, speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes back to World War II, and and set there back to the I guess the original origins, the original themes of Godzilla, and you've got this, and really some themes that uh, the filmmaker himself explored in a film about 10 years ago called The Fighter Pilot, mm-hmm. because this one centers on a fighter pilot who has, he's survived World War II, and he's, he's dealing with not only survivor's guilt, but the, the view by some people in his town, his village, that he's, that he's a coward, right. because he didn't die with honor. And at a, on a small island base, um, near the end of the war, he got an up-close look at Godzilla, who was kind of a, a whispered-about legend uh, around to some of the people who didn't really maybe believe that Godzilla really existed. Well, uh, this fighter pilot find out, that, oh, yes, oh, yes, he did. And then years later, he, he accepts, to, for, for money, he accepts this dangerous job going out helping to clear mines from the coastal waters, and then uh, Godzilla comes calling. And that's when, and, and Daniel, I don't know if you agree, man, that early early uh, sight of Godzilla when they're out in the small boat. Uh, Jaws was all over that sequence. Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> frankly, that's my favorite sequence in the movie. It's and great. I, 
honestly, it's one of the best set pieces of the entire year. Yeah. It, it's just phenomenal. It's and, so uh, well done. And the and the monster, I mean, again, you have a longer history with this. I thought the monster looked, fan- Godzilla looks fantastic. Oh, yes, he does. There's, there's always a worry, you know, as a long-term Godzilla fan. I've been watching them so long, I don't even remember not watching them. And there, there's... There's a big charm to the giant rubber monster suit stomping around on models. <laughs> now, if I could have my own giant rubber monster suit and stomp around on a city model, I would do it. <laughs> and, uh, but you, you always want to be able to translate some of that over once you're switching to CGI. Mm-hmm. And I would say that there, the earliest appearance of Godzilla is, is a little bit wonky, the nighttime sequence. But from the, the, uh, the tugboat sequence onward... It, it just looks wonderful, and there's there's the one thing that you always need with anything huge that's made out of CGI is it needs to have some weight to it, mm-hmm. and they nailed that from the get-go. The, it has weight to it. The moves aren't too bouncy. They're fluid. It, yep. it looks a little bit like a man in suit, but in a good way. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, I was I was really impressed with yeah, it. Yeah, it looks, it, it looks really great, and then also it's also very character-driven. I mean, the yes. script centers around not only this fighter pilot, but then he has been living with this this woman who had taken in a baby, not her own, this orphan baby to raise, and they their dynamic is very touching, very human. Of course, the the pilot's dynamic as he works through these feelings and and working through the chance to be to feel redeemed by helping to take down Godzilla. I mean, these are very real themes that not only go back to the original but update them because I think um, Yamazaki is is commenting on his own his own homeland's uh, views about warfare and views about the expendable nature of their their citizens, and I think it's very real. I also think that this is probably the most they've invested in the human story yeah. in, mm-hmm. in really any Godzilla movie that, that maybe that I've seen. No, I, I would agree. Um, yeah, it, it, does a, it does a great job of updating everything across the board. You know, on the on the human front, that's that's another thing you always look for as a Godzilla fan. You, you expect to get more human drama than you do big monster smashy smashy. But uh, <laughs> the the hope is always that you're not bored during the human part, and it, it was absolutely captivating this time. It was. Around. It was. Uh, there were for me a couple of you know schmaltzy melodramatic moments. <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. And a couple of I think the the script, the film thinks the the surprises they have in store are more surprising than they are. <laughs> but that but that's fine. I mean, I was I was captivated by it as well, and I liked you know the the plan that they come up with once they figure out that that weapons don't really work on Godzilla. What, the plan that they come up with to try to take him out, I thought was pretty clever. Yeah, it was clever and fun and it was a nice update of some previous similar plans in older films as well. Okay, I was wondering about that, yeah. I was wondering, yeah. and I, I thought you could answer that, but I, I saw some definitely some Jaws, and then, or a lot of Jaws early, and then Dunkirk For sure. uh, comes in late. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it really makes it, it makes it its own its own type of, uh, even when it's homaging those those films, it, it really makes its own vision. And I was, uh, as, a, as a non, you know, non-deeply uh, rooted fan, I think both of us really thought this one was just just an all around an all around good time, and I'm I'm not surprised that longtime fans like you and some others that I've seen on social media are really digging it because I think it's going to win over pretty much everyone. 
Yeah, I, I actually took my kids with me, and they've grown up watching Godzilla movies. They like watching the old ones, but they're used to watching the dubbed versions. Of course, this was subtitled, and this is enough of a crowd pleaser that that didn't matter to them. Good. They absolutely loved it. Good. So, good. yeah, yeah it, it won them over fast. Good. I'm expecting to do a good business, and I hope so. So, yeah, big uh, recommendations all around here from the two of us and from the longtime Godzilla fan, uh, Daniel the Schlocketeer. Thank you for uh, for chiming in on that. We appreciate it. Oh, happy to do it. And that is Godzilla Minus One in theaters now. All right, let's stay in theaters for a, a comedy. A hapless family man finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams. When his nighttime appearances take a nightmarish turn, he's forced to navigate his newfound stardom. Nicholas Cage in Dream Scenario. Why me? Uh, I don't know. I'm special, I guess. How does it feel to go viral? Who's actually had a dream about me? You're scaring me, but I'm going to have nightmares. I wish I was the one people were dreaming about. Me too. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's something. How's he dealing with all this? We're not even the type of people that like attention, you know? I hope I'm behaving through your dreams. Oh, no, you're not. I really feel like you're playing with fire here. Zach, please help me! I'm not actually doing anything to them. You know, fame can come with some less desirable side effects. Maybe we should cool this thing off. What? What do you mean? It's embarrassing. Which part? I guess I'll, uh, guess I'll see you in my dreams. <laughs> I find it funny. I'm looking at the IMDb page, and it's listed as comedy and horror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can I see that. I, it does. It straddles those tones. I guess some people could find it horrific, but I found it very funny. Uh, absurdistly funny, and Nicolas Cage is at his very best. This is the latest from a writer and director, Christopher Borgley, who you may remember him from Sick of Myself, mm-hmm. I think, was the first one that comes to mind. But this is really, really enjoyable, and especially if, if you like Nick Cage. And when you realize Nick Cage is fully invested and at, at the top of his game, you've got it right here. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, it'll be like, oh, it's a crazy movie, you're going to get a crazy Nick Cage. But this is really him acting. He's carved out a specific character here who's a goofball, but he's not, he's completely authentic um, and very, very goofy. He's just this doofus college professor, (laughs) not a very good one, not anybody's favorite college professor. He's not like a brilliant researcher, uh, and he hasn't written his book yet. He's just sort of a dude in a big coat. And uh, and when he I know first, that's quite a coat. It's quite a coat. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a parka with one of those big hoods. Yeah, with all, and he, he's constantly recognized by that parka. Yeah. And when they first, when he first realizes that he's in people's dreams, now first it's his daughter, and then it's some people in his classroom, and then he realizes at one point it's people all over the world. Yeah. No, like most of them have no idea who this guy is who keeps appearing in their dreams. And what's funny is that he doesn't do anything in your dreams. Like, that's the repeated theme is that he just kind of shows up. And most people, they're in peril. There are alligators underneath of the piano that they're sitting on, or it's the middle of an earthquake. And he's just kind of standing there, is not doing anything. And it's, it's fascinating the way that this works on multiple levels. As a character study, it's really quite good because there's this sort of, you know, innocuous... You know, he's so kind of excited that he's special now mm-hmm. and he wants to celebrate the fact that he's special now and he wants to use it as a foot in the door. In the door to what? Who knows? But something. Um, and then just as like a comment on our culture, as you said, as we were leaving, it's like an alien is looking down on 
Earth's culture and trying to explain it to another alien. Like, it's, <laughs> it's spot on, but it's so nuts. Yeah, there's been many, many movies to comment on the, the quote-unquote social media culture, the viral culture that, that we're in right now. And this takes a, a sort of a, a different angle, which I love, but basically to say, hey, none of this is real. No. Okay? Don't get invested. No, none of this is real. I mean, we constantly see this. People get... People get discovered. They they get they get found. They get built up. They get torn down. Uh, people believe things that aren't true. I mean, it's it, what has this internet thing has, has what it hath wrought always makes me wonder sometimes. Like, would it be better if the internet was never even invented? <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, you have to you have to judge it. The pros and the cons. But um, I also think it's fascinating what they have. What the script has. Um, Paul, the professor, teaching. Uh, oh, yeah, he's, he's teaching the class. Basically, we're seeing this lecture. He's talking about zebras mm-hmm. and how the, the fact that they're striped, which you would think would make them stand out for predators, how they could use that to their favor. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's that when they all blend in together, that makes it tougher to be to single be, one to, out to be to single one out. But yet the thing that makes that is good for them to to stand out is in mating. So. It's a differently. It's it's a different uh, comment when he starts to stand out right. and the things. Is it safe that way? Is it better that way? It's a fascinating parallel between what he's teaching and then how he reacts to the fact that he is now standing out. Yeah, it's it, and, and the entire ensemble is so good and partly because nobody else seems to be performing as if the film is a comedy. Mm-hmm. So Nicolas Cage's performance is often actually comedic because the guy is such a doofus, but everybody else it's as if it's a it's you know, it's as if it's a drama. It's it's just the the performances in the direction are so well handled, so deftly handled. Yeah, especially um, uh, Julianne uh, Nicholson oh, who plays white. his wife. She's very very good and all the ensemble and you'll see some some faces uh, pop up that Tim you Meadows, recognize. Oh Michael yeah, Sarah. Tim Meadows. Yeah, yeah, Michael Sarah exactly. And there are some awkward moments to oh, watch profoundly. That, that, that will make you uncomfortable not in a horrific sense but just in a socially awkward sense like oh but man i i thoroughly enjoyed this you know one of the things i really like about the fact that it's it's centered on a middle-aged man is that it's a it's a it's a movie that is commenting on you know sort of social media culture, but it doesn't seem like it's finger wagging at the youth like oh this vacuous no. youth. And I appreciate that because I think almost any other one I can think of that is what it is. It's mm-hmm. like oh you young people are too dumb to know the difference. Um, and that's no, it's absolutely not not what this is doing. No, not at all. But uh, but man, it is really really funny and and smart and gives you just a new way to think about this whole thing. It's absurdist in the way, it reminded me very much of something that maybe Charlie Kaufman would have written, which yeah. is high praise. Yeah. Well, speaking of Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Because he was so good in, in uh, adaptation. adaptation. Yeah, big recommendations for this one as well. Out in theaters all over the place starting this weekend called Dream Scenario. Well, let's go to Amazon next. A, a man is determined to win the neighborhood's annual Christmas decorating contest. He makes a pact with an elf. To help him win, and the elf casts a spell that brings the 12 days of Christmas to life, which brings unexpected chaos to town. It's Candy Cane Lane. Check that list twice. What was your Christmas wish? I just want it to be the best Christmas ever. Oh, ignore all the fine print. Honestly, it's like you're signing your life away. Hold up, that was your wish? Not like, I don't know, 
world peace, end hunger, end homelessness, stop climate change, save the polar bears, new Drake album. Oh, I love Drake. Point taken. Look at you, high stuff, looking like a tall drink of water. I'm enchanted. Well, first of all, if that title gets your hopes up, as it did mine, to hear the, <laughs> to hear the Sia song, Candy Cane Lane, no, it's not in this soundtrack. As but, soon as the movie is over, <laughs> you found it and started playing that yeah, song. I like that I was Christmas in the other album. room and I thought, oh, he's sad about the Sia song. I like her Christmas album. <laughs> anyway, but this is Eddie Murphy. Starring as Chris Carver and Tracy Ellis Ross is his wife, Carol, and they have a family in uh, El Segundo, California. And he loves Christmas. His kids are named Joy and Holly and Nick. So he's a big Christmas guy. And uh, he lives in an area, Candy Cane Lane, where they have a contest with the neighbors every year to see who can do the most lights, do the most Christmas decorations, especially with his Across the street neighbor Ken Marino, right? And uh, you may you may not know his name, but you know his face. <laughs> and this year the stakes get amped up because a TV show comes to town, and they're going to film the whole thing, and they're going to offer a hundred thousand dollars to the winner. And it turns out that uh, Chris Eddie Murphy he just got he just got laid off, and uh, he would like to have that money as well as the bragging rights to winning this contest. So yeah, this naughty elf played by Jillian Bell, love her Pepper. Uh, she uh, she has this incredible Christmas store, and she sets it up that yeah you can you can win you can have all your wishes come true just sign on the dotted line and of course he doesn't read the uh, fine print and there's some serious fine print <laughs> about if he doesn't come in on uh, if he doesn't deliver on his end of the bargain and all sorts of nuttiness ensues and I mean all sorts this script this movie throws a lot of ideas at you yes it does yeah it's very dense with uh, with different storylines and conflicts and and images a lot going on yeah but it, it's very very colorful it is very very Christmassy, very festive the uh, writer is kelly younger the director is reginald hudlin and this is one you know, we see these a lot now it's 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 perfectly understandable why it is a streaming film yeah this is one that if, if you have to stop it and go you're not going to miss anything nope. there's not a, a big sort of a narrative where you're going to lose out i mean you know the stakes you might you might miss an antic or two but uh, you can come back to it and you can watch it with the family very family safe mm-hmm. very christmassy it is as a little, a little long little long as a lot of these tend to be it's a full two hours yeah. and man if it was an hour and a half it would be a lot oh, yeah. more easy to digest yeah but, and there are definitely some some laughs. I did yeah, laugh. I did too. It's got some. It's enjoyable. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's got some wink winks. Yeah. Especially that the that the audio that the uh, adults are going to get maybe mm-hmm. more than the kids, but the whole family can watch it, and it's and it's warm, and it's uh you know very very tied up in the the fun of the season. Of course, there's a lot of it that is completely ridiculous. Oh, but all that's of it okay. Is. <laughs> but that's okay. You know, it's it's the type of film. What's the that last the, realistic Christmas movie you saw? <laughs> it's the it's the type of film that yeah it it works sort of in its favor. Just give in to it. I mean, sort of how some of these, um, you know, some of these Christmas romances do, right, right, I guess. Right. But uh, but it's fun, and uh, the the entire cast. You're going to see some other people that uh, some other names and other faces that you recognize, including uh, Nick Offerman and Chris Red and uh, David Allen Greer. And uh, it's just it's one of those that is it's not great. It's not it's not overly memorable no but it's perfectly fine oh yeah perfectly fine mm-hmm. for a streaming family christmas movie and that is on uh, amazon right now called candy cane lane
Well, let's head back to theaters for the first American film for director John Woo in about 20 years. It's a grieving father enacting his long-awaited revenge against a ruthless gang on Christmas Eve. It's called Silent Night. Like a lot of people, we were excited for this one. Yeah, John Woo? Mainly because it's John Woo, but also there's the, you know, we're like, that's an interesting gimmick. Because the gimmick, of course, is that there's no dialogue in this movie. Um, right. The uh, Joel Kinnaman plays the, the grieving father, and he doesn't speak at all. He doesn't have a single word in the entire film. And then, sort of inexplicably, nobody else talks either. Yeah, and it's it's a gimmick. It, it, the, the marketing makes you think that it's in this... Christmas action, Christmas horror kind of thing that has gotten traction over the last yeah, few yeah. years. It's not really Christmas is no. is very very much in the background. Very. I mean, uh, it happens that the, the first opening uh, tragedy when his his son, his young son, is killed by a stray bullet in a gang war. That happens on Christmas Eve, and then he marks he wants to take his revenge on Christmas Eve. But other than that, the whole silent thing comes from him being shot in the throat, right? Um, and then him not being able to speak. And, and you're right, there's only a couple other words. Uh, in the whole movie. So this is really, really disappointing. Uh, we didn't like this at all. No. For, for many reasons. Um, first of all, you think about John Woo. Okay, I want to see some some great action. The act, the action seemed very uninspired. Yeah, I agree. Really, once it gets to it. And it takes a while to get to it. It does. I think I wrote down in my notes like 50 minutes, yeah. almost the entire half the first half of the movie well you don't the, really the get opening to it. there's a lot of running and there's some car yeah. stuff it's but it's yeah, yeah. It, even that is pretty meh for yeah. john woo but, but then, then once it really hits it and you're waiting and yeah, waiting it takes a while there are a couple scenes in a stairwell where i thought this isn't bad but uh renfield did it better and that's yeah. not that's not the comparison that you want like yeah. this silly vampire movie did it better than john woo yeah you see a lot of him well first he has to recover from his injuries but then it's a lot of training oh, a lot montage. of a lot of montage. Uh, souping up, reinforcing his car and driving it. We got a lot of that car and a lot of him driving and, and doing these donuts and all. Okay, mm -hmm. fine. And then he, it's not intended to be funny, and that's a problem because yeah. this movie could have used some, used some over-the-top yes. humor. He writes down on his wall calendar his goals for Christmas Eve. First he, first he writes down, kill them all. And then later he actually writes down, start a gang war? Question mark? Question mark? <laughs> Um, yeah, this is one that if, if you could see it being improved by Nick Cage and going over the top and maybe a face-off machine, you know, <laughs> speaking of John Woo, right, it, right. this movie needed that because oh, it. it takes itself way too seriously. It really it does. It is so stone-cold serious. And then you've got the fact that, I mean, the, the themes are troubling. I mean, it's going to be violent. Okay, okay, I can deal with that. But you've got this... Angry, self-righteous -white, white man just executing scores of Mexicans. And that's to, just to be clear, so there is, there is literally one white person in the whole movie, and he kills only, exclusively, and uh, plenty Mexicans. And yeah. it's really hard, I think, to just to justify why, well, then why did it have to be a white actor in the first place? Because that's, I mean, it just really shouts something ugly. It's just, as we both said to ourselves when we saw it, you, you think someone along the line would have pointed that out. Um, because now he's he does have, he's, he's married to a uh, Latina woman who is played by Catalina Sandino Moreno, who who has a thankless, thankless role. Thankless role. But she does what she can with it. And mm -hmm. then he kind of, he kind of brings in this 
this uh, detective, this cop played by uh, Scott Mescudi, so an African-American man, it sort of tips him off as to what he's doing because the law won't. But still, even that, it's, the film is very clear with what the hero and the villain, what look they like. look like. Um, and it's just this indiscriminate uh, mowing down of all these Mexicans. So and the- since, I mean, you can, so I just kept thinking, I'm imagining to myself being any of the other actors in this, not Joel Kinnaman, but any of the other actors, like, do you want to be in John Woo's English language comeback? Yes! You don't have any dialogue. Oh, you know, and then, and here is your character. So the other thing is that without benefit of any dialogue at all, there is also zero backstory like these the you know the entire rest of the cast they they can't possibly carve out an actual character they are nothing but stereotypes yeah gang you know gang lords drug dealers uh and you even, know and addicts it, and even kinnaman i mean he handles the physicality well but without the benefit of dialogue i mean he's overdoing these anguished faces oh my god yeah i mean everything about the movie is just so force-fed no subtlety whatsoever. And it's all played so, so serious. And it's honest, it's just a series of montages, which, of course, without any dialogue, that's probably in an action film. Yeah. That's what you're going to end up with. But, but then, that's all it is, is a then, series of montages. You take all of that away, take all of that away and say, OK, fine. Just I'm here for the John Woo action. Even that, I think, comes up wanting. It I agree. really does. Once once it kicks in and he starts taking his revenge on all these gang members I just I don't think it's anything stylish, anything that makes you say, "Oh man, John Woo is at his best." No, I, I, oh I really my God, don't. No, no. So I just think it's disappointing all the way around. And really, really, this one comes in uh, as uh, not recommended at all, unfortunately. And that is in theaters this weekend called Silent Night. And one more on VOD, a horror flick that traces a family of murderous sideshow performers as it travels around the world on the dying carnival circuit. It's called Where the Devil Roams. I took his magic. Made my own pact. We gotta keep moving. Somebody cut off more than you can sew. Oh, here's again. We're just rock thieves. Your daughter did this to me. I can fix it. While the body rocks to dust and bones. Where the devil roams. This is the latest. Don't let it throw you. We say it's the latest from the Adams family. And when you said that this morning on TV, I saw the host right away. His face was like the Adams family. I'm like, no, that's their real name. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it's John Adams and Toby Poser and their daughter Zelda Adams, and also occasionally with their other daughter Lulu Adams, who is not in the. Who she's got a small part in this one, uh-huh. but. The, the four of them, or at least the three of them, have made about seven feature films together. Yeah. I, could ha- I could have miscounted, but it's close to that. And each one is just a gem. They're very independent, and they're low budget. They don't look low budget. They're very inventive, and, and they all, uh, you know, they all uh, take place on sort of, you know, uh, the fringes, and there's always a family dynamic, and it's always a little bit off, and, and it always really is anchored by, as is this film, a tremendous performance from Toby Poser. She is just a really, really solid actor. The, uh, a couple I think that we've covered, a couple of their films that I think that we've covered on the podcast here. The Deeper You Dig is one from 2019, and I know we talked about Hellbender, Hell, yeah, Hellbender. from a couple of years ago. Yeah. So we have talked about these before, but they're definitely worth, if you've never heard of them, they're definitely worth digging up, checking oh, yeah. out. All of them, yeah. Seek them all out. And and usually they do wind up on Shudder. I'm hoping that this one does as well, but right now you can get it on VOD. And it is, it's, you know, it, it, it is, 
I you would think very tough on a limited budget to be convincingly like uh, depression era, but but they really nail it. I think aside from Poser's performance, so so she is the mother in this sideshow act, and her husband, she and her husband, kind of back up their daughter uh, Eve, uh, who is mute except on stage, and she sings. And that's other. Mm-hmm. If she's not singing, she doesn't she doesn't utter a sound. It's fascinating then the way sort of the carnival itself revolves there's a lot of just dark poetry in this and then as they travel from place to place to place sometimes they just sort of camp out outside in the cold and sometimes they murder people <laughs> take their house <laughs> and it's that part is fascinating as well the family dynamic i mean for a lot of great reasons feels very authentic they don't explain a lot but it all seems like yep this is what they're doing now mm-hmm. okay that seems right to me um, but then the other thing, again, the performances are great. It's a very inventive and interesting storyline. But the cinematography, I mean, they've all, all of their films have looked good. It's particularly impressive here because everything feels like a still shot, yeah. like a vintage 1935 photo, often like a, a carnival photo, like yeah. something you'd get at a carnival. I mean, it's it's so stylized, but so perfectly so. Well, we've seen over the last several years, not only in movies, but in, in um, something like American Horror Story, a carnival setting oh, yeah. can give you an incredible opportunity yeah. for these memorable shots. Oh, I mean, yeah. remember Nightmare Alley, my God. Oh, yeah. And this, this is another... Another one that takes full advantage. Yeah, absolutely it does. And there are also some really great sort of, because it's also a road picture mm-hmm, to a certain degree, mm-hmm. and there are some great shots there. And uh, and actually also the old farmhouses that they want. I mean, yeah. it's just the movie looks spectacular. Yeah, and this is one that is available now for streaming uh, on Amazon. And you said maybe, hopefully, hopefully it gets shutter on shutter down the point. line. Not right a now. A lot of their films have. Hellbender certainly yeah. has been. Yeah, and check those out as well. But this new one is available now called Where the Devil Roams. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Heading to the lobby, bringing the schlocketeer back in, Daniel Baldwin, for the weekly look at the latest news and notes. What you got? Well, first off, um, Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon hits premium VOD on December 5th, so just in a couple days here. Yeah, just one. Did it, did it win uh, L.A. Film Critics Best of the Year or just one, one of the big ones? We're starting to see them roll out now some yeah. of the year in. I know it just won one. Um, yeah. And it'll be, it'll many, be up I there, imagine. yeah. And then uh, pivoting a bit, uh, although this person is a favorite of Scorsese's buddy Paul Schrader, um, Taylor Swift's The Eras Tour hits premium VOD on December 13th and will be available in an extended cut form. So. Yeah, Paul has uh, made no secret of the fact no. that he's a big no. fan. <laughs> he's a big Swifty. Oh yeah, major. <laughs> and then uh, Gran Turismo is streaming. Will be streaming on Netflix beginning December fifteenth, and then a few days later on December nineteenth, Trolls Band Together will hit premium VOD. Okay. And rolling into next year, um, Amazon and MGM have set a January 12th streaming premiere on Amazon Prime for their action comedy role play that stars uh, Kaylee Cuoco, David Yellowo, uh, Connie Nielsen, and Bill Nighy. So that's an eclectic huh. band for you. Mm-hmm. And Netflix has announced a January 26th premiere for their South Korean dystopian action movie Badland Hunters, which stars Train to Busan and Eternals powerhouse Don Lee. So that might be one to look out for. And on January 28th, uh, The Wizard of Oz is getting a an 85th anniversary theatrical re-release. 
85th. I've never seen that in the theater. Have you seen it in the theater? Wizard of Oz? Mm-hmm. I think so with my mom uh, when I was a kid. Um, Is it a re-release back in? I know they, yeah. they've re-released it over the years yeah. before, but I've never seen it. We'll have to go. Okay. Um, awards contender Monster is hitting premium VOD on February 6th. And uh, Warner Brothers has moved up the theatrical release of Dune Part 2 by a couple of weeks to March 1st. And that's basically taking the slot that uh, the Fall Guy had vacated to move to May for. Yeah. And Lionsgate set a March 22nd theatrical release for their Mark Wahlberg adventure film, Arthur the King. And here's a fun batch of words for you. Disney has set an April 5th theatrical release for their new prequel, The First Omen. (laughs) (laughs) The First Omen. Disney's The First (laughs) Omen. (laughs) Yes, we shall see. And then some 2025 stuff. Uh, Sony has set a January 2025 release for Paddington in Peru. Ooh. Continuation of that. That bear travels. Yeah. Yeah. Gets around. He and his marmalade. That's right. Disney's locked in a um, February 2025 release for Captain America Brave New World. Universal has set a June 2025 release for The Black Phone Part 2. Nice. Disney set a July 2025 release date for Thunderbolts and a November 2025 release date for Blade. And Paramount has set a December 2025 release for the next SpongeBob SquarePants movie, The Search for SquarePants. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, short news week this week, uh, Sony and Eli Roth just announced yesterday, yeah, last night actually, that uh, they will be doing a sequel to Thanksgiving that will arrive November 2025. Um, So the question is, is it going to be titled uh, Back for Seconds or Second Helping? Right, (laughs) right. Let's start now throwing those titles out there. all I've got for you. All right. Well, thanks as always. You can follow Daniel on the socials to get all the uh, latest updates anytime. That's at the Schlocketeer. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Looking ahead to uh, next week, got another big awards contender uh, opening next week. Bradley Cooper's Maestro. And the return of our beloved Miyazaki with the boy and the heron. Yeah. I thought he wasn't going to return, but he returned. He did. Also, uh, Eileen is next week. Leave the world behind. The sacrifice game. The portrait. Raging Grace. And Under the Influencer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's next week. What do you think about this week? Godzilla, do you love it? Nick Cage and his dreams. Um, Candy Cane Lane, or maybe you love Silent Night. Well, let's hear Let's hear your side. Uh, we love to keep the conversation going. As always, you can find us easily on Twitter. That's at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook and Instagram and threads at Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website, we can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcasts called Fright Club, Leather Fun Stuff. That's all at madwolf.com. So keep in touch, and uh, until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. 